Good morning. Welcome to the Vineyard. How y'all doing? Good. I'm Jeremy Pleasant. I'm the senior pastor here. I want to welcome you to the Vineyard Church of Baton Rouge. I want to welcome you to a place you belong. I want to welcome you to a community of hope. You can be the furthest from God you can imagine. You can be a faithful follower. You can be looking for life. This place is for you. You can be a saint or a sinner, a loser or a winner, lost or left over, adopted, abandoned, whether you're divorced, LGBT, rejected, alone, or just someone who doesn't fit. I know what that's like. Welcome. You are welcome here because Jesus, our God who became man, welcomed the least of these and everyone in between. We believe in radical acceptance, radical transformation, and radical reconciliation, practicing the radical love of Jesus for everyone, no matter the cost. Welcome to the vineyard. So we have been doing some exciting things this year. I'm excited for uh, all that has kind of gone on up to this point in 2020 and, and kind of where we're going uh, throughout the rest of this year. And, you know, so we all know what, what weekend it is, right? It's, it's, it's Mardi Gras. Um, it's okay, you can be excited about that. I saw people like holding down the excitement. <laughs> For some of you, most excitement is you get two more days off of work. <laughs> Um, but for me, this, this time of year, as we kind of go along with others on the church calendar, we go through the season of Lent. And in the season of Lent, we have an opportunity to um, not just refocus ourselves, but to say, I, I want to engage with God at a, at, a, at a deeper level and in a way that, that, that leads to significant life change. And so sometimes Lent can be a season where we do kind of an extended New Year's resolution, right? We're like, well, I'm going I'm to do this thing for this period of time, and then I'll go back, right? And so I, I want to break out of that habit and say, actually, let's, let's actually do some things and, and engage with Christ, but let that lead to a permanent life change. You know what I'm saying? And so that's my hope over this season. And so we are starting a new series called What's God Really Like? Knowing the Good and Beautiful God. And pulling, uh, obviously, uh, scriptures I base, but, but pulling a lot of material from, from James Smith, uh, The Good and Beautiful God, from, from Tim Keller's The Prodigal God, as well as from uh, some, some other theologians, uh, Greg Ogden and, and, and some others, to, to look at our, our relationship with, with God and how that affects our daily life. And so what we want to do over these next eight weeks is discover the true nature and character of God. And I want us to experience his love for us unlike ever before. Because we all need a deeper expression of his love. I mean, if you can honestly say you don't, please tell me how you do it. <laughs> you know? And, and, and as we learn about the, the, the nature and the character of God, we find ourselves being transformed to have that same nature and character. And so we're going to talk about what that looks like but also take some steps toward, uh, toward it. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, what we're looking for is we want to find freedom. You know, we, we all have things we need to be free from our lives, and, and what I want to do over these, in this next series is, is look at what that freedom can be for us. And so we're going to gain some tools to help us on this journey um, long after the series has passed. And so... I want to look at 
kind of three components, all right? So we have this eight-week series, which is a little bit longer, but it goes through, again, the, the, the Lent calendar, or the liturgical calendar. And then on Good Friday, we're doing the interactive reflections of the cross. Now, I don't know a single person who has done that here and has came out and, and didn't say that was one of the most amazing experiences I've had, right? And so for those of you who don't know what interactive reflections of the cross is, kind of like our version, kind of the Protestant version of the Stations of the Cross, okay? It's, it's, it's a great practice, and we kind of just uh, modify it a little bit for, for who we are. And so there's a, there's a wonderful experience that happens as we go through this, um, this, this, uh, this reflection. And then we're going to have weekly practices. We're going to be doing some spiritual practices that are well-tested and well, that have been used for, for a long, long time which have been proven to, that that leads to this kind of transformation we're talking about. And um, so we're gonna have practices and challenges, but the important thing is, is that we're doing this in community. And so, so too often, like, we, we hear some stuff, we learn some stuff, and then we kind of do it in isolation. Well, sometimes I get it, that's what you gotta do, and that's kind of the season you're in, but things go so much further when you're doing it with someone. And, you know, sometimes you, all you need is a community of two, but in this, and, and that's all you need. But if you can have some community of two to 20, right, that are just going through this together, I guarantee you're going to see a significant difference. And so I really want to encourage you into that. And so one thing we're also doing differently uh, this year, which we haven't done before, is that we're, we're doing this thing called an Align series. All right, so uh, what we're doing in kind of the main sanctuary and youth and then children, we're all talking about the same thing over this next eight weeks. And so if you um, have a family at home, there are, you, have, you got those, um, those cards when you walked in, you're going to be able to take those and have these discussions with your family throughout the week, at the dinner table, after dinner, you know, whatever that looks like, so you can engage with this stuff in family and community, because that's where a lot of the, the, the transformative work happens is in those spaces. And so like, this is great, and we're gonna keep doing this here on Sunday, but we, we wanna push forward to do this in community at home. All right? Okay, so I, I wanna talk about who this series is for. Like, why are we doing this series? Who is this series for? It's for those who have been following Christ but are looking for the next stage of life in him and with him. It's for those who have felt stuck in their life with Christ and are looking to get unstuck. It's for those who have their doubts about God. Now, I know there are actually people who, like, they're actually good with Jesus. They're like, I like Jesus. I can follow that guy. But when it comes to God and our knowledge of God, especially as we look at Scripture, you're like, I don't, I don't know about God. I, th- I think that's real for, for several people here. This series is also for you. And so we're going to be looking at how we can engage with the entire Trinity and how we can come to know the good and beautiful God. And so many people relate to God and say they know him through what they read in scripture. Many people relate to God and say they know him through various experiences they've had. Many people relate to God and say they know him through the way they serve and care for others. And those are all valid, but they're also all limited. 
They're, they're, they're a limited expression of how we get to know God. You know, one of the fallacies in, 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 in those three methods is that we think that's all it takes and I can, I can know God fully. Unfortunately, that's not all it takes because we all have context. We all have an upbringing, a background, relationships, cultural understandings that impact our view of God. And we bring all of that into how we read scripture and how we process experiences and how we serve others. No one can read scripture or experience God in a vacuum. No one has like the perfect view. We have all of our stuff which impacts us and which impacts how we view God and view Christ and view faith. And so we put all this together and project our understandings onto God. But Jesus also had a view of God. He had the perfect view, the clearest understanding, and the utmost representation of who God is. Let's look at Matthew 11. All things have been committed to me by my Father. This is Jesus talking. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Only Jesus truly knows God. And so wherever you are in kind of what I've mentioned about who this series is for, we're going to begin to understand God through the lens of Jesus. And so we're going to have to go from, from A to B. And so we're going to go from what my understanding is, right, and from how I know based on all of my context, and I need to go from that to, okay, this is what, how Jesus knows God. Now we say, oh, that's simple. Just read the Bible. Yes, and it's still limited, right? Because we have our context. And so what we need to go from A to B is the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is what makes us real and gives us a clearer view and, and repairs that image and continues to give us a true image of a God who is good. John 16, 13. Actually, you know what? Let's, let's look at Romans 12, 2 first. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. So that's the A to B. I think this, and God wants me to think this, and as I change my thinking, I begin to change. And so this is how it happens in John 16, 13. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. And so there's something that happens to where as we make this shift, we're not doing it on our own. We're doing it by the very power of God, which shifts our thinking for us and helps us to get the true view of who God is and how he sees us and what he wants from us. Y'all with me so far? Okay. And so, as we talk about this idea of the way we think and, and as we talk about how we make this shift, we have to understand something. We all exist and function 
in the space of narrative, okay? And so when I say narrative, I mean story. The stories we tell ourselves. One person put it, narrative is the central function of the human mind. The way our human mind works is through narratives. We tell stories about ourselves. We listen to stories about others about who we are. We tell stories about someone else. The way we make sense of the world and our experience in it is through a story. Even if we are ones who are more analytical and look at tons of facts and data and all that stuff, we still combine all those facts and data to what? Tell a story. This is how we process. This is how we understand things. And so, as we begin to understand these narratives, we have to realize that we all have false narratives. We all have stories that we tell ourselves that others have told us that simply aren't true, but have become true for us. And so what we want to do is go from these false narratives to the narratives of Jesus. See, we have one story, Jesus has another, and we find freedom in our lives by going from this false story to Jesus' story. One of the main narratives in Christian faith that's somehow happened up to this point is that we change by our willpower. We change by knowing enough. We change by working hard enough. But what do we just read in Romans? What's Jesus' narrative? We change by the renewing of our mind. We change by actually not working harder. We change not by using all of our power to stop what we're doing, but actually by changing the way we think. Jesus says we change by adopting new thought patterns. And it's the Holy Spirit that brings us this truth. We can't actually do it on our own, but that's what we keep trying to do. At least I know I do. See, the Holy Spirit brings us the truth. It bears witness to the truth, is what one translation says, and it changes that story. And so the Holy Spirit is a key component here because some of us know about like this whole false narrative, Jesus narrative thing, but then we still try to change the story in our own minds with our own power. But it's actually only the Holy Spirit that can change that story for us. So let me give you an example. One of my false narratives for a very, very long time was the more productive I am, the more valuable I am as a person. I am more valuable as a human being the more that I can get done. Jesus' narrative, which he said over and over, and it just it, it took a while to actually stick, and still hasn't fully stuck, is <laughs> your value to me was determined long before you were born and hasn't changed since, Jeremy. You are far more valuable to me than what you can do. And so when I believe my narrative, I end up doing everything I can to be productive 
so that I can be seen as more valuable. I still remember this, like, as clear as day. I was in high school, and there was uh, this teacher who was also one of the basketball coaches, and he didn't really like anybody. <laughs> Y'all know that, that, that coach? Anybody had that coach? So this is kind of the coach that didn't really like anybody. And then one day, in one of my classes, he came to me, and he was like, hey, um, I, I want you to come onto this this." club or whatever, and, and I want you to, to, to be in charge of this thing. And I'm like, really? Why? I mean, I didn't even know you, like, know me. He was just like, yeah, you know, I, I really like you. You get things done. I was seen. I was accepted. I was known because I got things done. That was the narrative. And so I continued to live my life that way. If I want to be known, if I want to be seen, if I want to be accepted, I'm going to get things done. And I'm going to get the most done. No one will get done more than I get done. And what does Jesus say to me? I see you right now. You cannot do anything for the rest of your life, and I will still love you. Now, I knew that intellectually. So that's the thing. We can actually hold two opposing beliefs at the same time. Our actions determine which one we actually believe. See, if I actually believed that, it wouldn't have turned me into someone who was over-dedicated, to working. And when I start to believe that, I don't find my value in that anymore. And so my actions determine which belief I'm holding on to at the time. And so that story has changed, but not completely. I still tell myself the story our culture tells us at times. And I need more truth, deeper truth. And as that happens, I get more of the story that Jesus has for me, and I find more freedom in my life. So look at Galatians, Galatians 5. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance or patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So this is what's interesting is that this is kind of how we tend to operate. You're going to love my little illustration here. Self-control, then Jesus, and then I live a happy and fruitful life. How many people can relate to that right now? Right? Let me just control my impulses, and then I'll get to experience the love of Jesus, and then I get to be happy. Now, don't get me wrong. There are some things you have to do with your willpower, right? Like, there's that time when you actually don't need to punch that person in the face, right? Like, you need to have a little willpower, right? But that's not the whole basis of our walk with God. And so, you know, we look at that scripture, and it says one of those truths is is self-control. And so we're trying to create self-control when God is saying self-control is a result 
of the life with God, not in order to get there. And so it's more like this. We have the Holy Spirit, which leads us to a life with Christ and truth, and the result is self-control, not the other way around. And this is how we do this work. You know, one of the more common illustrations in and, and, and our life of, of discipleship of this life with Jesus is like the apple tree. Because Second Corinthians says, we are therefore now a new creation, right? All things have passed away. All old things have passed away. And behold, what's new, right? It's like one of the most famous scriptures you'll find. I, I bet if you go to Hobby Lobby, you'll, you'll find it on, on, a, on a plaque or a t-shirt or somewhere, right? And it's true However, we think that, oh, I'm a new creation, so I'm an apple tree, so I just make apples. And so if I'm not making apples, if I'm not being exactly like Christ, then there's something wrong with me, then I'm messed up, and I'm going to feel shame and judgment and condemnation and all this finger pointing because you're not making apples. We have to have a kingdom understanding of all of this. Yes, we are a new creation. Yes, we have been made brand new, but also we have the old creation. And so we got our old stuff that's there also. And so we experience the kingdom that comes and this new life. And then there are times when that old dude just won't go away. Does that make sense? And so the work not is enforcing ourselves to be this new creation. If we had to force ourselves to be a new creation, then it's not new. No, we have to put off the old and put on the new is what it also says in Scripture. And so, you know, there, there, there are some I, I, who have had some miraculous changes in their life the moment they become saved, right? And that's that's awesome. But for the most part, it's a lifelong journey of putting off the old step by step and putting on the new. Not having enough self-control just long enough to where I look good to everyone else, but I have all this stuff going on on the inside. So, as we talk about what this looks like, we said we have to know this real God. Like, who is this God? And so, one of the ways Jesus describes him in this parable. Now, this parable has a couple names. And so, I'm just going to describe the parable. It's going to become familiar to you, and then we're going to just, it's going to be a quick summary, and then we'll, we'll, we'll talk about what it means. And so Jesus tells this parable describing the kingdom of God, what God is like, describing the very nature of God. And he's saying this as the religious leaders are grumbling about him breaking bread with sinners. So Jesus is hanging out with sinners. The horror. And the religious leaders are like, are grumbling about it. And so Jesus is like, okay. A man has two sons. One son demands his inheritance and goes off to do his own thing. He's not living right and just making a mess of things. 
The other son, the older son, does what he is told, maintains his duty, and keeps his head on straight. He does everything right. The younger son comes home repentant, apologetic, and the father is ecstatic, not wanting vengeance or penalty, but is just happy his son is home. The older son, however, is not happy. His brother is back. He's upset that his father has welcomed him, has allowed his return, and he's even upset that he's celebrating his return. The father asks his older son to join him in expressing his love for the younger son, encouraging him to rejoice at this wonderful thing that has happened. And then the story ends there. Now, don't raise your hand. Don't raise your hand. Which of you relate to the younger son? Which of you relate to the older son? We're going to come back to this parable throughout the series. See, but the focus is normally on the younger son. Even the, 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 the header before this is the parable of the prodigal son. That wasn't in the Bible originally. That was just added later. Because, like, we look at, the, you know, we look at oh, this, this kid that's acting out and God's radical love to accept him back. But there's actually far more in this story because Jesus wasn't talking to the sinners in this story, per se. He was mostly talking to the Pharisees, the, the older brothers. So the focus is normally on the younger son, but Jesus was dealing with the issues of both. See, our, our faith culture today often exists in two extremes, heavy legalism or, or cheap grace. And I'm going to speak into some things that are going to call us towards neither of those extremes. And that's going to call us towards this life with Christ. See, in, in heavy legalism or like this extreme moralism, everything is about the rules and following orders and just being right. Our faith is not in God, but it's actually in our righteousness. And so when, when we're dealing with moralism, this is what I'm describing right here. It's about the morals above everything else. I'm going to follow the letter of the law to the letter of the law at all costs, and I will find myself righteous because I do that. Now, we don't necessarily use those words, but that's how we operate. This often results in looking down on others and judging others, but also in missing grades, God's grace for yourself because well, you don't need it. You do everything right. And yet in this parable, we see Jesus trying to say something about those who do everything right. And so cheap grace is the, on the other side is when we exist to do our own thing and just live life because we know God's grace is enough. Generally, if we're not hurting anyone else, then it's all fair game. And God's standard and call is more of a suggestion, like the speed limit, than something to move towards, right? And so this, also, this often leads to a lack of integrity also missing the depth of life that is possible because we have cheapened the gift we've been given. 
This is why I say at the beginning, uh, we don't just stop at radical acceptance. It's the acceptance, yes, but also the transformation, yes, and then also the, the reconciliation. And so this is like the tension that we hold, because I believe, you know, one, one of our values is, is, is a culturally relevant mission at the Vineyard. We say one of our core values is to be culturally relevant. Absolutely. We want to be where people are. We want to meet people where they are, as they are, no matter what. But we're also countercultural. We're also not bending toward culture. We're not letting culture define who we are. We're letting Jesus define who we are. And in today's climate, that is now harder than ever. And I get that, and I live with that tension every day. But I said it last week, and I'm saying it again this week, I have this high belief that we actually have the power through God to impact our culture and not succumb to it. To not live in superiority and judgment and condemnation, but to also not just be as is and not move towards a, towards a calling that God has for us to change the world. And so Jesus' way is neither the legalism or the cheap grace. Jesus' way is God's love. The kind of love where you can mess up the, in the worst possible way and he still loves you. He still welcomes you back with open arms to where there's actually nothing you can do, not life, not death, not blessing, no cursing, that can separate you from his love. It's his love and his patience. God, I'm so thankful for his patience. I could not be as patient with me as he has been with myself. I couldn't. And in that comes this impartation of, a, of life change, of freedom, of all these things we're talking about. It, it, it comes in that. That comes first. I'm going to wrap up here really quickly. You know, I, ha I had this narrative that I, that I projected onto God because it, it, was, it was a story that was told to me by others, and it was a story I told to myself after enough people told it to me enough times. I am a disappointment. That's just who I am, and it's obvious by what the things that have happened in my life. And so that's what I projected onto God that all he saw in me was a disappointment. I knew he loved me, but I, I was always working to not be a disappointment. And so as I, as I read scripture and, 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 and as I pray, I have this lens of I'm trying really hard to not be a disappointment. And that affected my relationship with him. That affected my intimacy because I don't want to get too close because I don't, I don't want to fail again. Like no matter how much, it's like I can't fail. If I fail, it all falls apart. That was the narrative. 
And so my life existed between this, this oscillating place of shame and striving. Shame and striving. That's not freedom, y'all. That's bondage. And he just kept loving me. Patiently. Until one day, it broke. And all of a sudden, that narrative changed. And I realized he's actually not disappointed in me. That like the, the threshold I have for like his disappointment was actually much larger than I realized. I'm like, I'm afraid I'm gonna like hit a one on the, on the threshold meter and he's gonna be disappointed. And it's like, dude, you gotta hit like a thousand before that happens, so just relax. <laughs> See, that story had to change. And so I began to have change break of that, of that idea of, of, of not being good enough. And then another chain will break, and then another chain will break. And I, and I get to talk to others about that journey. And then their chains break. And so I want to counter a culture that lives for itself, where everything is fair game. I want to counter a culture that lacks mercy and kindness and love and trying to do the right thing. I can't do it with love and kindness. It doesn't matter. That's not me talking. That's, that's scripture. That's like that famous wedding passage, you know, everyone reads. Right before all that what love is, is like if you can't do it in love, what's the point? I want to counter a culture that looks down on others. It's not about moral superiority. So that's, that's where, like, we, where we've kind of lost it. It's like, oh, we have the edge of morality. We determine morality, and so we're going to tell you what it is, and if you don't do what it is, then you're not moral. No, it's not about moral superiority. We don't get to define that. That's part of what Jesus is teaching against in this parable. It's about life change, ours and, and someone else's. And so if, 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 if you are new to this experience with God, if, if you're new to faith or, or exploring, you, you're like, hey, I actually I want to experience that kind of life change. We want to join you in that. Because that's... that's not only what this series talks about, what Jesus talks about is like, hey, you can come and walk with me and do this with me. And you want to f- figure out what that looks like without all the, the trying to do it on your own? I want to invite you into this life. And so I want, you, I want to invite you to take communion with us, and then I want to invite you to come up to our prayer team, and they're going to pray with you in that. And just let them know, hey, I, just, I, I want prayer to walk with Jesus in this. And so we want to invite you into that today. Let's look at some practical tips. Number one, practice Lexio Divina on Romans 8.15 
at the beginning of the week. There is a guide available at vineyardbr.org slash Lexio. And so we've talked about this practice uh, before. If you want to hear more about it, you can check out our series, Hearing God, um, on, on the podcast or online. You have to scroll through to find it. But um, this is a powerful spiritual practice which will help us shape and change our narratives. And so I want you to practice at the beginning of the week, and you can use that scripture. And so as you take notes or journal, don't just leave what you hear or experience in your journal, okay? Don't just leave what happens in that moment there, but like think about it throughout the day. Like resolve to actually make a decision and say, I'm, I'm, I'm going to walk this out, walk out what I experienced this morning with, or whatever, at whatever time it is with God. And then ask God to show you more. Or number two. Identify one false narrative that has been dominating your life. <clears throat> I'm giving you a few examples this morning, so I'm hoping it can kind of help get, get your brain churning. And ask Jesus what his narrative is that contradicts yours. And if you're a longtime Christian, avoid the confessional ritual of saying the right thing. You know what I mean? Like, we know, oh, I shouldn't think like this, and so I'm just going to say the right thing, and, and like, and that's it? And it's like, I, I want to move beyond that and say, okay, no, this is a true belief that I have about myself. It's okay. We all have them. And I can't actually change it on my own, so let me ask God to help me change this belief. Ask you what his narrative is. And... Um, Spend time in prayer asking the Holy Spirit to bring truth. So remember that we have the false narratives and we have the Jesus narratives, but the way to it is the Holy Spirit, not through our own action. And he will bring us that truth. Do this at least twice this week. And so I want you to stay on top of this um, throughout the Lent, okay? And so each week, each practice, I want you to just like, hey, we're going to commit to this together, right? And so like we're going to have one every week, but you're, we're, they're going to build upon each other, okay? So just, just really want to commit to that. And at the end of it, I actually want to know what happens. Because I've seen what I'm getting ready to, as what we're talking about this week and, and over the next couple months, I've seen it change my life and others' lives. I'm not just talking about something I read in a book. I've seen this in action. And so as I challenge you with this, I actually want to hear the stories. I want to hear what happens. And I also, and I'm also want to say, hey, if nothing happened, share that with me as well. I'm willing to be wrong. Once. Remember to do this in community. If you're having trouble finding one and getting into community, just reach out to me, Liz, or Dan, and we can help you get connected. But this community aspect is going to take it from us, like, hey, I had this really cool thing happen to, oh my gosh, some amazing things happened. Okay? All right, number three. 
as you think about what you have heard and learned today, and as you gauge with these practices, think about someone around you or in your circle that isn't in church or doesn't have faith and invite them here. God will highlight people and bring people to you. Just keep your eyes open. And invite them into this, into this journey with you. Remember, it's not about moral superiority. It's not about saying, yo, you messed up. <laughs> you need to come to church with me. No, it's not about that. It's like, hey, I'm on this journey to freedom. Do you want to come with me? That's what it is. And so keep your eyes open for, for God, who, who God is leading you to, to invite. All right, let's, um, let's stand as we get ready for communion. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this to remember me. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying this cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this to remember me as often as you drink it. We take communion to remember Jesus and what he has done for us. But as Jesus taught about communion, we do it also because we can experience Jesus in our lives. So as we take that bread and we, we, we dip it into the cup, we're actually saying, Jesus, we need you. We, we want you and we want to experience you. And we want that spirit to come inside of us and bring us the truth. And so I want to encourage you into that as we practice communion this morning. And so there are three stations, one under, one under each projector and one in the back. And if you have a gluten allergy, they're all gluten-free. But we just want to engage with the presence of God as we worship and as we remember him through the communion at the table. And everyone is invited. Let's worship. <clears throat>